Mark 6, and we're going through Mark, and we've already talked about this in the blog a little bit, and that is that Jesus really is fairly early in his ministry. There's still uh, a lot that he's discovering about his disciples, including the fact that sometimes, like his disciples today, were sort of dense. Uh, they don't fully get it all. They, they're still trying to figure it out. They're well-meaning well-intended and sometimes completely clueless. And to that I give God thanks and praise because it means there's a space in the kingdom for me too. In, uh, in Mark 6, Jesus has already demonstrated his power through a variety of healings and he's called his disciples uh, both casually and with intent. Uh, he's already run into confrontation with authorities and figures who weren't happy with what he was doing. And then, here in this section, John's about to read to you. He turns to these 12 disciples. And he does what I think is the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard of. He sends them on a mission without them. John? He called the 12 and began to send them out, two by two, and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He ordered them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not to put on two tunics. He said to them, wherever you go and wherever you enter a house, stay there until you leave the place. And if any place will not welcome you and they refuse to hear you, as you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and proclaimed that all should repent. They cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick, and they cured them. This is the word of God for you, the people of God. Thanks be to God. I invite you to join with me now in hearing a modern parable. On a dangerous seacoast where shipwrecks often occur, there was once a crude little life-saving station. The building was just a hut, and there was only one boat, but the few devoted members kept a constant watch over the sea with no thought for themselves as they went out day or night tirelessly searching for the lost. Many lives were saved by this wonderful little station, and in time it became famous. Some of those who were saved, and various others in the surrounding areas, wanted to become associated with this life-saving station and to give it their time, money, and effort for the support of its work. New boats were purchased, new crews were trained, and the little life-saving station grew. More and more people were saved. Some of the new members of the life-saving station were unhappy that the building was so crude and poorly equipped. They felt a more comfortable place should be provided. So they replaced the emergency cots with beds. They put better furniture in an expanded building, and now the life-saving station became a popular gathering place for its members. 
They redecorated it beautifully and they furnished it as sort of, well, a club. Most of the members were now interested in facing the dangers of the sea or going on life-saving missions, so they hired a lifeboat crew to do this work for them. The mission of life-saving was still talked about and posted on the wall as the mission statement. There was even a lifeboat memorial hanging up in the room where all the members of the club could gather. About this time, a large ship was wrecked off the coast, and the hired crews brought in boatloads of cold, wet, half-drowned people. They were dirty and sick. Some were foreigners. The beautiful new club was becoming very dirty. The members felt uncomfortable with these people coming in, so the property committee immediately met and decided a shower house needed to be built outside the club where the victims of the shipwreck could be cleaned up, treated, and evaluated before coming inside the beautiful facility. At the next meeting, the club membership met and decided they would continue to offer life-saving classes but would no longer be distracted by the actual life-saving. There were simply too many activities and events, and the waters were simply too dangerous. If you visit that seacoast today, you will find a beautiful, exclusive club along its shores. Shipwrecks are still frequent in those waters, but now most of the people drown. In the scripture in Mark today, the church was in life-saving mode. Jesus was still trying to teach the disciples. There was so much that they had yet to learn and would learn in the rest of his ministry with them. And it seems almost impossible to me to think that he would send them out at this juncture, but he did. He pulled them together and said, I'm going to give you a mission, and I want to give you some instruction on how to accomplish the mission. The first thing is, don't go alone. This is too hard a work. It requires someone along your side who will encourage you, who will help you know when to push forward and when to hold back. It will require someone with you who will support you in prayer and stand alongside you when you are weak and encourage you when you are strong. Don't go alone. He gave them authority. Don't go off and do this on your own thinking that you can just figure out what you're supposed to do. Draw your authority for this mission from the one who sent you. It is Christ who will go with you. I will go with you, in essence, he says to these disciples. So you won't have to figure it all out on your own. That was never the intent. Rather, go and do the mission I send you and know that I am the one who is the authority for that mission. He told them to pack light and to trust much. Don't take everything with you that you think you will need. Do you do that when you pack for a trip? Anybody? You know, I might need this fourth pair of shoes. Have you ever come back from a trip having worn literally every article of clothing perfectly matched up? Yeah, some of you have because you're tired of carrying all the crap with you. But most of us have to learn that art. Don't take everything with you. Because for the accomplishment of the mission that you will need, fundamentally all you really need is faith. You will have to trust on a journey that the provisions that you will need will be provided. They're not in your control. Be present in the moment. Don't anticipate 
on everything, but when you are on your mission, go into the house that you're working with and be with those people. Just be with them. And in the relationship with them, allow the holy experiences to happen. Know that on your mission, there will be some people who won't agree with you. And know that's okay. There will be people who will think you're foolish. There will be people who think you're going the wrong way. There will be, be people thinking that there's other folks who do it better than you. That's all okay. Don't let that slow you down. And so they went. And it says that everything that Jesus said would happen, happened, including that there were many people who were blessed, many people whose lives were changed. These ill-equipped, under-trained disciples blessed people's lives because they went on the mission that Jesus sent them to go on. And I expect you could probably say there were some folks out there who said, you know, well, they weren't very effective for me. I didn't think they did it all right. But at the end of the day, the only thing that really mattered were that there were lives of people who had been changed because they went. Today we stand in the face of a mission that is before us. And I want to be real clear with you. It is not our mission. That is to say, it's not of our creation. It's not the one that maybe we would have even selected left to our own. But it is the mission that is given to us. And it is our task to discern and to learn and to keep doing with commitment, to be faithful in every day, to be better tomorrow, and to live holy and healthy lives along the way. I've already talked to you in these last two weeks that we stand on a history of faithfulness. Minerva Payne's pledge card that I've held up the last two weeks, that young woman whom we now know was here at 19 years of age in 1870, an orphan at the age of nine, living with her sister, made a pledge to the ministry of this church, and within five years had married and died already. But that moment of giving means that forever in my life I'm connected to Minerva Payne. She's a part of my family. She's a part of my faith journey. We look at the pictures around us and we see snapshots of a church that we don't even know because it predates us. There is pictures here I've looked at a lot since I've been your pastor for 12 years and I even know them quickly when I look at them, but I wasn't there. But they tell me a little bit about who I am today and how I'm able to be it because of what they did. There are other snapshots up around here that you can see that are pictures of some of the stuff that's going on today. And you've received mailings uh, in the last week or two that have talked to you about the stories of lives of people who are being changed, who are being blessed, like those in the disciples' mission in Mark 6. So we know that we stand in a history of faithfulness. We also know that Jesus is doing powerful things in our midst today. We also know, can we just be honest with each other? We're friends, right? That there are days in the history of our church, we've been more of the club than the life-saving station. We can say that honestly, because quite frankly, in a church that has 174 years of history, whatever that church is, that's inevitably going to be true. We have to own the truth of that story as well. 
Because in knowing the truth of that story, we get to make a choice. What is our mission going to be moving forward? Where is the Lord taking us? And how are we to face the future? You need to know that I was really seriously thinking about today's message about two weeks ago. And I'm just going to be honest with you. I wonder if, in fact, today you're a little more scared about the future than you used to be. I wonder for those of you who are raising your children today, what fears do you carry? I want to tell you that I think it's okay to be afraid. Because to be afraid acknowledges the fact there are things out there in the world that are scary. And there are. So while Parisians conduct their life again and sing their national anthem and find unity from all around the globe to stand with them, doesn't mean that they aren't a little bit afraid. Because holy living and faithfulness has never meant not to be afraid. It is meant to choose not to let fear dictate your mission or your life or your witness. And so for those of us, as we begin to think about our future, the first thing the gospel tells us is do not be afraid. In other words, do not let your fear dictate who you will be. In a few weeks, we're going to start hearing angels sing in the heavens. We're going to see shepherds running around in bathrobes. And we're going to hear music in scripture that reminds us that the first thing the shepherds heard out in the woods was, don't be afraid. Whatever mission you're about to go on, like he said to these disciples in Mark 6, I'm the one sending you. Don't be afraid. Today, the truth is, our mission has already been selected for us. We didn't select it for ourselves. In my 12 years with you, we have come to a place that I wasn't thinking we'd come to when I first arrived on the scene. It wasn't the place I was trying to get you to go to because I didn't know that place back then. Today I do. And I know it because of how you have taught me and how we have learned together what God is asking this place to do and be. So along with the snapshots along the wall, you will see that there are some blank pictures there. They're intentionally because no good picture of a church is ever accurate unless it has pictures yet to fill. Excuse me. You see, the truth is, the mission that Christ has given us and the one we've discerned is that we, in fact, are today focused on being a life-saving station. We will not accept the comfort of the club life. We will not value the places where we can just hang out with each other as precious as those are. We are committed to touching as many people for the sake of Christ as possible by his authority and his authority alone. Now, you and I both know that for the next couple of years, 
building is going to be a dominant theme of the ministry of this church because we're going to be building sometime starting this spring. We're going to be building bricks and mortar, but if you listen to the parable very carefully that was audible to you as I began this message, what those life-saving stations did is they built nice rooms for people to hang out in. We're not doing that. We're building usable rooms for mission launching, for places where we can bring in folks who will assist us in life-saving ventures. We are building showers, but not outside the building. They're going to be inside the building because we want places for people to come who are broken and hurting to be able to get washed up and feel loved. And when we get too sweaty because of the work we're doing, we want a place to clean up as well, metaphorically speaking. We're building spaces for the purpose of launching mission and doing mission. An entryway that's going to be out there in another year or so for the sole purpose of being a place where we can connect with people, where we can relate to each other and spend more time finding the opportunity to make new friends in Christ. We're going to build a community center on this far end. You know all this. I get it. I know you do. So I'm not going to spend a long time on it. A big room on the other end of the building is a community center. Why are we doing it? Because we want to build community. Because we want opportunities for our youth to run around and be idiots in large group space. Because they know how to do that. We want to build space where the community can come in and do their activities and know that there's a group of people here who think that we care about what they care about. But as I've always told you, if you've listened, I don't really care about the building. I think it's important. I highly support it. But the building that I care about is what we're building alongside of the building. Launching in 2016, we'll begin offering new worship. We are not replacing our Sunday morning worship. I like our Sunday morning worship. I like you in Sunday morning worship. I expect you to be here. But... The church can either try to squeeze as many people as we can into Sunday morning, or we can be strategic about how we offer worship in a variety of ways, in a variety of places, and make it accessible to people who are already living lives too crazy and hectic to try to figure out how to reorient themselves to our schedule. So in 2016, I expect to be launching the first of at least three worship services I have in my mind, and I've shared with a few of you, that over the next two to three years will help create bridges to the community around us. They will be targeted so that they will access the people. People can access the ministry of the church by coming into those worship experiences, not on Sunday morning probably, I don't know, because in large part the folks we're going to be working to reach will help design them. We're going to become a mission-saving worship station for as many people as we can in as many ways as we can, as often as we can, so we can have that shared ministry with a larger congregation called the body of Christ around us. We will expand our care ministry. We already know that so much of what's important about what we do is spend time with each other, not in this setting alone, but in classes and support groups and 
we'll be launching more programs and activities for the community. You know divorce care right now is the largest single source of bringing in the community who's not a part of this church into a holy and healthy relationship. Other 12-step programs and other programs that will help people through the critical moments of their life will be more and more emphasized in the next couple of years because we know there's a hurting world around us and we want to create spaces where people come and be healed, whether they're a part of this church or not. Our mission will continue to accept and attempt to try to build relationships with people in the community who first come to us solely for out of assistance. The work that's happened already this year in building bridges and in reach, and, uh, getting ahead <coughs> has all brought into our worshiping congregation already folks who first came to us asking for assistance. Now they're looking to lead the church, and I'm glad for it. We're going to continue to offer programs into the community that build the bridges so we have portals of people to enter the church and for the church to go out and meet the people that you're not meeting and let our ministry expand to those people as well. We will be raising up more and more people to help lead the ministry. You have some excellent lifesavers on your staff right now. You have the, I am so privileged to work with the highest quality, highest dedicated, most fun-loving staff I've ever known in my life, and I will take them anywhere in the world with me if I could. But as hard as they work, the number of people that they can reach is limited by their efforts and by their exhaustion. And our efforts will be to do more and more to equip others to lead ministry and to engage in ministry and to initiate ministry. We'll become an equipping congregation so you too and others will be able to do the work there right now. Staff oftentimes lead because that's your mission. And it's how we will expand the outreach of the congregation because the mission station never focuses on the people who are the lifesavers. Lifesavers exist to get into the water where people are hurting. Where's our mission field? Well, today's probably not the best example, but on a Sunday morning when you leave the church, drive around. There are folks out there, aren't there? There are a lot of folks out there. Within a five-mile radius of our church, there are 75,000 people, most of whom don't have a connection with the faith community, but could or would if they found that was relevant for them. We need more and more churches to move into this community to help whittle that number down of folks who are not connected with the faith community, and I welcome everyone, because they will not affect the mission of this church. We have a mission, and we are called to fulfill it, and fulfill it we will. We will fulfill it by going with trust in the one who sends us, and with intent to do the work of Christ with everyone we encounter. We will go into the future standing on the foundation of our salvation history. Have you been saved? It's not a term we use very often here, is it? Is your life better because of Jesus? Is your life better because 
of the person sitting around you or the worship you do or the church you participate in? Is it? Is it? I don't know. I mean, you're, I don't know. I'm... All right, so if it is, what are you doing and saying if the neighbors around you don't know that? If you know how to swim, next to someone who doesn't know how to swim, I think you have a mission. I stand here on the cusp of a future that I get so excited about, I either start to dance or cry. You don't want to see either one today. But I know where we're going. I don't know how it will all happen. Just like the disciples on that day when he said, hey, you two go out and go over here. And they went, what? That's the most amazing thing that they did is they went without knowing all the answers because Christ had sent them. It's where we're going. And I just humbly invite you personally to go with us. To go with me. I came across a prayer that I'd like to have it used as my closing today. It was written by a member of a congregation. But I think it speaks well to us. So as I close today, I invite you to pray this prayer with me in an attitude of offering this to God. Dear God, our church is made up of people like me. I help make it what it is. It will be friendly if I am. Its pews will be filled if I help fill them. It will do great work if I work. It will make Massive impact in the lives of people in my community if I am a generous giver. It will bring other people into its worship and fellowship if I invite and bring them. It will be a church where people grow in faith and serve you if I am open to such growth and service. Therefore, with your help, Lord, We dedicate ourselves to the task of being all the things that you want your church to be and to go now on the mission to which you have called us. In the name of Christ our Lord. Amen.